Hi, friends, and welcome to All Things Relatable, a place where stories are shared. It's hard to put a value on a story because the lasting effects it can have are often priceless. An individual's story has the potential to impact our lives in tremendous ways. My hope for you in joining me today is that this episode resonates with you and that you leave enlightened, ignited, and inspired because it only takes one moment to spark a change and leave an everlasting effect. Hey friends, I'm so excited to share another amazing guest with you today. My next guest, Mel, is a deep belief hacker who partners with empathpreneurs to identify what's getting in the way of their success. During her upbringing, Mel experienced a series of very tremendously difficult events. Mel describes her teen years as sailing through a hurricane, and although no little person should have to go through what she did... And because we cannot go back in time and change things, we must try to look for the sunshine that's on the other side of the storm. So Mel, I'm so happy to have you on the podcast today. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. And I love it when uh, people who are interviewing us don't just read the bio. I love that version that you created for me. Thank you. Well, thank you. Thank you for sharing all of the things that you shared with me. I know... I'm like, oh, there's some heaviness in there, but I feel like it's it's part of your story and so many people are going to relate. And yeah, like I said, I feel like, you know, we all go through the storms. They're, they're going to happen. So when you can look back and, you know, see the rainbows and the sunshine that come after and, and you know, all of the things that you've built through the storms, your courage and resiliency and the empowerment and all of the things that make you just like this beautiful human. Um, yeah, it's just great to look back. So um, you've navigated so many stores growing up. I want to know at what age do you remember the first one hitting? Ooh, the first one. I, I'm wondering whether I knew in the moment or reflecting back on the first memory. I think the toughest one that people relate to is um, so I grew up what we fancily tried to call a mobile home caravan park, which is basically a trailer park. And we've heard that before. And it's like, it's true. I grew up in that environment in Scotland and we didn't have much money. And the the, the kind of complication on top of that was uh, my stepfather, who's now deceased, um, was sexually interfering with me. Time, I didn't know that. I didn't, of course, you don't know what you, we don't have language for any of this stuff as kids. But I do remember being pretty angry at most of my early school years and I was definitely not accepted. I was definitely not one of the cool kids. Um, I was skinny. Um, the irony now that people are envious of you being skilly, but but I got bullied for being skinny. Um, I was very kind of sporty and athletic. I think it was basically the isolation that I enjoyed because I love cross-country running and that sort of thing. Um, so I didn't fit in with the girls who weren't sport. Like I didn't fit in anywhere. And that moment that you were asking me about was being so, we use the word in a completely different context now, isolated, being completely not fitting in anywhere. So I use, I've got a little wolf up on my shelf there. That's what I felt like, a lone wolf. And 
one day it got so bad that I attempted a suicide. So that, to answer your question, you asked it. It's a heavy topic to start with, but it didn't work. I don't know why 100 paracetamol didn't work for me. I know I slept well, um, which was maybe a good thing because I've still, it doesn't matter how much healing work I have done, I still struggle with sleeping. It's called hypervigilance because I was interfered with for so many years as a child in my sleep, in my bedroom. I would be woken up. So that is something I just have not, it's the final piece I haven't been able to address. But, you know, that's where you, there's the deep end. Okay, <laughs> where do you want to go from there, honey? Right into the deep end. So, wow. And here's the thing. It's, it's really heartbreaking is I know so many people are going to relate because the statistics that are out there are high. So when you were that young and you didn't really have the language and you weren't really, you know, looking back, you can see, you know, you were in the eye of the storm and it got so bad that you, you know, attempted to take your life. So was anybody around you? Like you were so the lone wolf. Was there anything back then that you think may have like broken that isolation for you? Is there anything that you were just so longing for that if you would have had like this thing, or was it just to that point where it was like, you're thinking, well, obviously there's no other way. Like what, what could have helped back then? Ooh, there's several parts to that. So we'll answer what could have helped. The first part of that question is no, nothing changed. Um, I remember having a conversation with the the equivalent of the guidance counselor or the whatever the school support mechanism, not because they knew because I did this at home. But I reached out the next day, but I didn't tell them and tell them I was being bullied and like surrounded by the gangs and being threatened constantly. I didn't tell them any of that. But I reached out and they were not skilled enough to be able to identify here's a kid who is struggling. So the the first part is no. It wasn't until I moved out of home and then even several years after that. uh, Well, maybe once I started to create some friends, but that's a different story. I still struggled to make friends when I started working at 15. Um, To answer the second part. It's a tough one, but those councils, those school services, I imagine with social media, it's harder than ever. And the responsibility. And when kids do manage to successfully, I hate that word, but take their lives, the pressure and responsibility and the guilt perhaps that some would have. And it it's it's horrible, as you say. This is not pleasant. It's unfortunately part of our current society of expectations and all these things that drives the bullying that drives um disconnect Mm, and you had nobody back then what about your mom like could you go to your mom and and talk to her about was what was happening or how you were feeling i was being emotionally blackmailed by my stepfather um and of course you believe the lies um and I I remember telling mom after I'd left home. And then 
respectfully to her, she didn't know how to handle that. And I won't go into that because that's not necessary to air that part. Um, but then as we, as I moved into my adult years, I emigrated at the age of 20. Oh, isn't that? No, 25. Um, that a few years after I'd left Scotland to Australia, it was a few years after that when my mum had the courage to leave him herself. That's when her and I started to reconnect. Um, I don't know what was my mom's existence, but I can imagine as domestic violence in multiple forms, um, what she was going through. So oh, I, don't, I don't know how, I don't know how people who have this information shared with them, perhaps for the first time, cope with that kind of horror. Um, and then of course the guilt, it's one of the lowest guilt and shame, lowest vibrations to deal with. Um, not pleasant, but it has definitely shaped me. So to lift that a little, um, I'm controversial in a lot of what I say. With context, with honoring, this is my personal view. This is my life and my experience and what I've been able to turn around. I'm kind of glad it happened. Now, pause because I am now a voice for it. I can now understand it in a way that people want to, that haven't been through it, would love to maybe be able to truly know what to say and do. I do. I am able to use that to support others. I can understand the conflict and the screwed up thinking around our loved ones doing the wrong thing by us and all of that. So I can communicate and connect with people in a way that I would never have been able to unless I'd gone through it. So I'm not excusing. I'm certainly not glad it happened, but I've shifted it into this has happened in a way that I can serve humanity. Wow. Oh my gosh. That just like hits me to my core that you can, you know, shift all of that and have that perspective to, to serve. And it just like gives me like full body chills of, I, I totally get that when you want to be there and for someone. And I mean, you can be there in the ways that you can, and you can help serve them. But unless you've really, like you said, gone through a similar experience, you really don't know like the ins and outs and, and, and all of that to be able to really, I don't know, blanket that person or, or whatever it is when you really have the experience, then I don't know. It's like almost the deeper, I don't know. The connection is not the word that I have, but you know, get really deep into it with that person and, you know, be there right beside them. Really, really yeah. knowing. It's a, it's a depth of understanding. And one, one of my early clients um, had actually been in a cult over here in Australia. And that's that kind of disconnect is like, well, I can understand some of your experiences while in the cult, but I can't understand the mind games because I didn't go through it. So I get what you're saying. You can, 
we can understand, we can have compassion, we can try and imagine what they like, but it's very hard to deeply understand the nuances unless you've gone through. And that doesn't make any type of therapist better or worse or different, uh, not different, but um, more expert to help clients with those, those differences of experiences. I'm just saying for me, it gives me an opportunity to connect with sexual um, abuse victims and children in a way that is something precious to me. Mm, Yeah. So you said you didn't really have any friends or it was hard to make friends and you're this lone wolf, but you eventually did find some connections, some friendships. So being so isolated and feeling so alone how do you go from that place? Cause you said you really do like, you know, being by yourself in some of these activities, um, physical activities, you know, and the, was it running? You said, where you mm. like to, you know, have that solitude, that time for yourself. How do you go from being so isolated then to where did you find these friendships and how did you like nurture them and grow them? Good question. Um, I think it's been an evolution. I've definitely, to answer the question now, I I now know I'm I'm I am an ombivert. So how did I how did that show up in life? Um, along the way, a lot of healing, but a lot of reflection of. Let me tr- approach this differently. What I have learned in hindsight through all of my experiences, and there have been a few pivotal moments, and it's been my intuitive knowing and wisdom that has guided me through every struggle. And I have a list of eight stories that I pick from, and depending on the audience. And every one of those, when I prepared those, when I started public speaking, I look back at what are the moments that I can use to help people. And when I reflected on them, what's the consistent thread that helped me be resilient or confident or um, courageous, as some people say in the moment, is just a knowing deep down. And that intuitive wisdom comes from moments of silence. I've learned meditation. I studied Buddhism for a while. And trusting who that I can trust to build friendships with. And who I remember as a a young 20-something when I was on my path to, you know, finding myself power uh, with my girlfriends. We had a solid kind of gorgeous group. And we'd go out clubbing and go to the bars and I would be the mother hen. I would be able to pick up, rightly or wrongly, I think there was rightly, the leeches, the sleaze bags, the player blokes, all the guys. And I would just go, to, there's just something about this guy. Sorry, honey, let's just, let's change where we're sitting or whatever. Or I would sometimes like, you're not listening to her. She's asked you to leave her alone. She's not interested. And I would play that role. And a lot of that would come from my intuition. 
And now teaching people how to trust and use and leverage intuition in all of our activities, it, it is the saving grace that has allowed me to trust combined with the healing and know when something's just played out, it's time. So being isolated as a child and not having, I watch movies sometimes and I still get a little bit sick, you know, best friends forever, the, or the beautiful father-daughter relationships, they're my triggers. And I'm okay with leaving that unaddressed because I missed out on that. Um, but looking back on it is that's what's made me so self-reliant because I was alone. I only had myself for survival. And that played out in multiple dangerous activities throughout my life, moments where I could only rely on myself. So it's, again, it's a strength that I developed, um, an independence that then becomes who do I interdependently cohabit, co-create with in life. So I, I think that's probably a really esoteric response. So happy for you to kind of dive into anything that didn't make sense or want to explore further. No, I love that. That's so beautiful how you, you know, developed that, that reliance on yourself so that when you did, you know, I, I like how you bring up that silence of, you know, we do really have to get still, we do really have to get silent to really tap in and listen to the little whisper, that intuition, that gut feeling when we start to do it more often, then we just are so much more connected and we, we know where it's not, you know, sometimes where our lives are so full, our lives are so busy. We never sit still. We don't, you know, because we don't really want to sit still with ourselves or for whatever reason. And then you don't really know what's your intuition, what's your, all of the thoughts that are rolling around and what is true. So you had that knowing you just had to rely on yourself. You knew that you could, because you made it so far and then when you go to make these connections with other people that, yeah, like you said, that must've been very hard to build those bridges of trust because you didn't really need friends because you'd made it so far without, but how much more, um, what's the word like just warm and cozy and connected, you know, how much more fulfilling is that to have a life when you, with all of these people that you share these experiences with. So I can imagine how, how hard that must've been to, to really trust, but I mean, you had your intuition to guide mm. you to. Yeah. Well, it's interesting that that's a perspective that could, I'm not saying you're incorrect, but I'll respond to it that Actually, I was pretty good at trusting. I actually was very open. Now, I had an over angry masculine mask. I was very defensive. So I could trust people, but you don't mess with me. I'm a feisty Scot. Make that very clear. And it wasn't, I didn't like that version of myself. In hindsight, looking back, I remember being in my 30s, divorced, and looking back and going, People tell me I'm bossy and I'm direct and I'm mean. And I recognize some people, that's just not that what they like or that just doesn't resonate it's too direct for them. I get that there's, you know, 
polarity in personalities, but I also know there was a lot of truth in that. When you hear it often enough, you wonder, what's the mirror that's being held up for you? So I was able to soften and, and drop a lot of that defenses by coming back to self going, I don't need to defend that. I know my truth. I'm just going to step away from it or limit it or reduce it. Um, instead of fighting for it, that's my, I think that's my biggest insight in life is learning how to surrender and just, it's not necessary to hold on to that belief or that friend or this dynamic or the outcome. A lot of, and surrender has a bit of a negative connotation. Surrender is choice. Pick your battles. This is not worth energy. We've only got so much. I'm going to use it for the good things instead of the unhelpful things. Focus on what works for me or what I want to work towards. Not focusing on things that's like, that's dead and dusted and that's not that's not going to help me. But yeah, I, I cut out drama. I remember in my 30s, again, that time after divorce going, all these women, all these dynamics, all the workplaces that were causing drama, I just not, I got too much shit to achieve and accomplish in my life. I got, I got stuff to do that's of a positive nature. And you do you over there. I'm going to be over here. Oh, I love that so much. I And I love how you said, you know, sometimes it's just good to know when something's served. It's, it's um you know, had its course in your life and when it's time to let go. Because I think, like you said, sometimes we just hold on for like a dear life when it's like, no, it's over. It's served. Not everything is for a lifetime. And we we can just surrender into that and let be what will be. And um, one thing that you've said a couple of times, it keeps coming up. And obviously, because you had to do a lot of healing. So when really did your, well, I kind of want to back up one a little bit more, because I didn't ask this question in it. I want to ask this question when you tried to take your life and it didn't work then the next day, like what was the thought? Hmm. Great question. Thank you for bringing it back because yeah, I haven't talked about what I did next. What uh, many people who experience childhood trauma um, have a side effect of is blackouts and parts of their memory subconsciously is just protected from them. And it's, it's, it's normal. Um, so I don't remember specifically what I did the day after or in the immediate week after, but at the time I was a bit of a bookworm. And I remember uh, I loved series like the famous five and I was probably in the library looking for more books. I would, I think I would read 10 books a week. And I don't know if it was then or sometime later, but I came across books like The Celestine Prophet Prophecy and books about angels. And that was the start of my personal development, although I didn't know that at the time. And some people might turn to things like faith and religion, but for me, that didn't kind of fit for me because it didn't, I couldn't make sense of it. So the spirituality element of hoping 
dreaming, being comforted by the thought that maybe angels or guides or something is looking over me definitely affected me going forward. Absolutely was a part of the shift. And I think I kind of got a little bit obsessed with the fact that there might be something out there. I was already a big fan of the universe. I could recite the the planets and system, and I was already obsessed with the universe. Um, And so it kind of fitted for me that maybe there's something else out there. Maybe there are ways that other planets or aliens are actually maybe, I'm not saying I'm an alien conspiracy or anything. It just, at the time when I had nothing else, it comforted me to think, well, maybe there's something else out there. And maybe after death, there's something else. And there's a reason that's why my life didn't end because there's something conspiring that I have to do something with this life still. So I think that's the biggest kind of shift that happened for me after failing my attempt to take my life. Okay. And how, you know, books, 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 like books are these, uh, yeah, just like a lifeline for so many people because they are so powerful. I just believe stories are so powerful. We can find ourselves in a book. We can relate to a book. We can uh, escape to a different place. We can travel through books. I mean, I feel like I've been to Nantucket like 10 times because all the, the fiction books I read are set there. And, you know, they might just have this glimmer of hope or, you know, this this light after the darkness. There, There's just something about books that, you know, like I said, is this lifeline. So you had this going forward these books to keep you company, to propel you forward. So you've got these books, you're starting to dive into personal development. Was there anything else that you remember as being really crucial in your healing journey moving forward? Yeah, as you've been talking, um, our memories come up. I remember reading Marie Claire or Cosmo or something like that. And there was an article about a lady who had survived some sort of child abuse. I remember reading that write up going, oh my God, imagine if I could do that in the future. (gasps) Scary as, but imagine. And that was at a young age, maybe 17, 18. So I left home at 15, quick kind of transition into being an adult. Um, No comprehension of that was an actual possibility, but being inspired by it's not all negative that good can come from this thing. Um, and I also remember, um, do you remember we had these big TVs? I don't know how old you are. Yeah. I'm a bit older maybe than you. But I remember, and TV commercials, again, not sure culturally whether it's the same, but those, I don't know, infomercials I think they're called or edgy I don't know but basically they were sales pitches disguised as kind of entertainment on tv um and I do remember seeing this amazing kind of presentation about our trauma doesn't have to equal our future that what's happened doesn't need to define us as a human and buying a series of cassette tapes and those cassette tapes were Tony Robbins 
So I'm not that aligned with him now, but at the time, absolutely, he has shifted entire generation into personal development, awareness of we are not we are not all that has happened. We are not just our experiences. We're so much more and how we can come to those conclusions at the end. So I do credit it fairly. Um, I think that was a big part in personal development and learning more about myself and potential. Um, But I've moved more, even more into the healing aspect of life and appreciation, et cetera. Okay. So let's, I don't know if this will take us there, but you said earlier that there was, you know, some people that you were surrounded with and there was some drama and you're like, okay, no, I I don't have time for this. There's other things I'm working towards. There's this other stuff. And that's just, yeah, I don't have time for this. So you read this article, you know, back when, and you saw somebody who was doing these things and you're thinking, oh my gosh, you know, maybe that could be me. Maybe something could be incredible that, that I haven't experienced yet, even though I've had this experience, there might be this. So what are some of those things that you're like, bye-bye, you know, I don't have time for the drama. I got to work on this. What was the, this? Okay. Um, so I received energy healing, which was, I went through four different modalities on my 16 years plus of constantly working on myself. Um, So NLP and tapping and timeline and a bunch of different stuff. And I credit them all. They are all part of, I just evolved through them, like reach the end or a kind of plateau with one and then I'd explore something else. I was just always, because I saw the benefits. That anger I referred to earlier subsided, shifted my way of looking at my challenges, my hardships, myself, and the self-love came through and the self-appreciation. And and so some of those, you know, the dynamics and and challenges, and even there was a a story of a boss um, who, I was an executive assistant for 24 years, like a professional traveling chairman board level. And there was a role where, something was said that was complete made up about my part in it, complete bullshit. And to the point where I had somebody else in the room with me validating that is not what Mel said, but they had an agenda and they went to my CEO and my CEO went to the chairman and so on. And they sided and completely, I'm like, I'm your assistant. We have this much trust and didn't back me. So the day that happened, I went, no, that's not good enough. If I'm going to have your back, I want my back too. We work our asses off in any job, but particularly as an EA, to make our bosses look good, to protect them. We're the gatekeepers. You haven't got my back when I'm blatantly being lied about. Uh-uh. I'm worth more than that. You can stick your job. So I did. <laughs> With a bit of grace. That's yeah. what that was thinking, but it was sorry, if you can't have my back, I'm resigning. 
And the CEO was like, yeah, I can understand why, but you, I'm in this tough position. That's my stakeholder. And I went, I just looked at him and was like, seriously, there's your integrity right there. You live with that one. I'm going to go and get a job with someone who respects the truth, who has integrity. And so I did. So that's the sort of drama example and going, stand it by your values. What makes you tick? What will you stand up for? What will you stand up against? I did a martial art, Israeli street fighting, Krav Maga, um, to get some of my empowerment back, whole beautiful story of its own. And I would quite often feel so empowered that I would kind of get involved with trouble where I chose to, particularly domestic violence. So if I saw a couple arguing, I would just go up and I did it maybe two months ago. Are you okay, honey? Do you need anything? Are, are, Are you okay? Not just, are you okay? No, I'm here with you. What do you need? Do you want me to help you go and get a, uh, an Uber, uh, a taxi at the time? Do you, do you want to just sit with us and just see how it plays out? What do you need? And often people don't know about that, but I would put myself in harm's way because I could defend myself and I will not stand by and observe. I will refuse to observe. Absolutely. No, unacceptable to live with not stepping in. It's just, oh, no. Wow. That that even makes me like, no, not nervous. Like, you know, I always think I would love to, are, are, okay, are there any times where, you know, you can't stand back, you've got to step in, you can't be an observer, where you do it so like not... Um, in the in the middle of things, but kind of to the side of things, or in a in a quieter way, if you don't feel safe with you know with mm. the whole situation. Okay, so to give some context around what I just said is, we as a Krav student, um, one of the first things we learn is about knife and less so over here because we don't have a gun problem, um, mm-hmm. but how to be present in a physical threat where to stand, how to stand, what to say, and more importantly, what not to say, how to diffuse. That's actually the key is to defend. The safest mechanism is to avoid. And we were trained. If you are threatened or mugged, give them your phone. That is the safest self-defense. So in moments of conflict, it would be, hey, are you okay? Or wait for the the antagonist, antagonist, protagonist, I forget, the aggressor to go to the bathroom or to go and do something, then step in. Are you okay? But I'm here. And if you want, I'm going to be here for another hour if things change. Mm. So it's about doing it appropriately. You don't want to escalate then you're causing harm for more. And the other thing I know, because I did then go through domestic violence of my own, I ended up being raped in my first relationship, was you can help in the moment and then she's got to go home and deal with the repercussions with him after. What did you create that drama for? Why did you draw attention? You cannot do that in certain approaches of intervening. 
we have to be very delicate that the repercussions aren't escalated when you're not around. So, yes, thank you for letting me kind of provide that overarching context. But there were other occasions when I was physically threatened. Um, at the time, I've, been, I've had a few best friends over the time. At the time, my best friend um, was going through domestic violence. He was going through court. And uh, long story short, I was the only one who knew all of the facts of what, what had happened. None of the friends knew any of it. And uh, long story, the parents were begging me to make a, a statement against him. Um, we were at an event. He had a restraining order against them, showed up, cornered me in a bedroom and threatened, like, was here in my face, threatening, like, very aggressively. Thank God I had the training. I was able to stand powerful and just give him this sneering smirk of, in my head, I'm like, go on, hit me, because then I'm going to fuck your shit up, mate. Not physically, I'm going to get you arrested. That's how I'm going to mess up your life. So in my head, I'm thinking and can prepare myself to be struck because I knew what I could do with that because then that's physical assault on me. It's nothing to do with her. Mm -hmm. So I was prepared, terrified in the moment, but able to not let that portray from the strength of it, from the fear of knowing because I've been hit in the face in training. I'd known what it acts not a full strike that was scary it's like my nose could be broken here if he really wants to hurt me mm -hmm. it is more important to stand up to him and do what's right by my girlfriend right okay scared he so didn't he backed down he backed down and the story i use is my wolf came through and she she growled snarled at him go on again hit me and he backed down, coward, backed down. Then I had to go to the park and release some of my adre uh, adrenaline that came through. Whew, that was <laughs> intense. But that's, I guess, a sign of my stupidity, courage, I don't know, whatever you want to call it. Okay, that has me wondering, how do you tell the difference between your values and like you said, sometimes when we get into that empowerment or these different skills that we know that we have that can bring us back into old patterns and old habits that we're trying to move forward from, how do you really know the difference? Which one is going to, um, you know, align and, and pull you forward or which one's going to try to drag you backwards? I don't think that's a, a simple response with transparency. I don't, every scenario is different. So I don't want to give advice that is too, there's too many nuances, too many variables for me to answer in the moment. Um, so that, that confrontation, my cat's playing on the windowsill. Um, the confrontation was a it was a surprise, but whilst he was talking and trying to basically get me to back down with the statements, my head is thinking, can I get out of here? 
So training kicked in. Um, what are the consequences? This is hard to do under stress and duress as the uh, endorphins and the hormones are pumping, but clear thinking in stress is something I definitely, definitely had development of. And I remember thinking, going, yes, I've got him. If he hits me. And so that instant of going, oh, oh, it's not about her. I can get him charged with assault. And then thinking, so I was moving myself and and arming myself with the, the physical ability to maybe block and defend. But in that moment, the, the clear thinking, how do you, clear thinking is only through training, practice, skill. That's how firemen can think clearly under the stress and heat and duress on their body, training. And I'd done Buddhism for a few years. So maybe those meditations were able to clear my mind. To answer a different way, again, I've learned how to understand the difference between my ego mind and my truth or higher wisdom or self or whatever you want to call it. Um, I love what you said at the start. Higher self is a whisper. It's a suggestion. There's no demands from truth because it it just is. Whereas ego and self-defense or preservation is a shout. It's a command. It's a instruction. And so that training enables us to switch off that and just stop and the clear thinking you can hear the whispers the suggestions that's when the thought dropped in you can get him charged Mm. and the whole shift then ego's got a new mission going okay let's get him charged we'll take the hit instead of get out of here get out of here this is scary it just changes it in the moment i don't know if that answers but for me that's that's how I'll respond mm-hmm. to that one. Yeah, no, I love that. Yeah. So like you said, every different situation has so many different nuances and different things that, you know, there's not a general overarching, but yeah, that, that little whisper. And I like how you say the truth doesn't, doesn't demand, right. That it is right there. It's just the truth. So, um, in the beginning, in the intro, I was talking about how you help empathpreneurs identify what's getting in the way of their success. And so how did you get into that role? You were working in, you know, 24 years as an EA, then rolled out of that into another job. Did you immediately go into this or how did you get there? Well, one (laughs) of my biggest uh, statements is the universe is happening for us. So I was... Uh, continued through um, EA. I changed from Canberra to Brisbane. I moved north, lifestyle change, all the rest of it. And I was constructively pushed out of a job. There's a whole story there. At the time, I'm like, I could sue you for manipulating this entire situation. But it happened for me. And I was able to think, I wonder. So my dream was to have my own business running events. That was always what I thought I was going to end up doing. And that kind of became integrated because I ran my own events for personal development. Um, 
And the shift has been gradual. I did not embrace that I was a coach at all. I did not feel qualified in any way initially. I'm in my eighth year now. So those first first couple of years were a bit of necessity. Um, There was a political change in our environment. Jobs were harder to get. I kind of didn't have any choice, but like, I guess I'm going to start doing this event thing uh, and using my EA background. That's usually what we do by default. What am I best at? Let's be a virtual assistants. We're just becoming a thing, just um, to the point where it was harder to get the job in person because there was these lower economic VAs offshore. Um, and so I I heard this marketing thing, you have to create a pipeline of clients. So the thing I wanted to, my events that I wanted to run was marriage proposals for men. And by the way, I just want to, before I go into that, I've been an advocate and supporter of men the entire way. I'd never grew up with hate, men hate in my mentality. Um, so all along the way, I've had amazing human men supporting me. My first job when I was 15 years old, the executives, they took me under their wings like uncle role models and not in sleazy ways. And I think they could see like if my daughter was, she's suffering. We don't know what's going on. No one knew my background. And so from that very early age where they would take me to events, there was abundant of the oil industry back in my early days. They were always having kind of like the Wolf of Wall Street, but for oil industry, um, these things are always happening. And so she could get a feed if she comes to this event. And I learned how silver service worked. And I, you know, the Julia Roberts moment of like, what do I do with all this cutlery and all that stuff? I got trained really early on how to be in those environments, which helped me be an EA because I would see them, all these executives be drunk and like, you're just like any other person, except you do a different title during the day. And so all along the way, I've had these wonderful men. So then I wanted to be a marriage proposal planner. It's still love, love. I've been a a bridesmaid 13 times. I am really, really, really good event planning, looking after people. And I love love. Um, So that didn't work. The marketing funnel didn't work. You need more clients. So I thought I can coach some boys, men, on how to date, because I've been single for so long now since my divorce, I know what they're doing wrong. I know what this dating app thing is not working, where they're going wrong. I'm going to teach them, and then I'm going to have a pipeline of clients to propose. Woo! Sorry, darling men. Some of you are not good at taking advice and not hiring a dating coach. That wasn't viable. So to answer your question, it was a whole series of evolutions that I just had to go through. I had to evolve who I am, how I was going to create a living, how I was going to serve. And then again, another story along the way, but I had this realization. um, I was at a networking event, networking, big thing, small business used to be really weird. Now I love it. This is all my people. And uh, I was talking to someone, it was a lunch and there was uh, breaks in between the courses. I was like, oh my God, I feel so sick. And I think I'm going to throw up. And I'm speaking to a loose associate who I kind of knew a little bit. 
And she, she, her response was laughing at me. She was like, no, that's mine. I'm like, what? She says, I'm waiting for a bank approval for this massive project I'm working on. I'm like, what? She went, no, no, no. I'm the one feeling sick. You're just, you're just picking up on my stuff. As she said that, the nausea of my body left in seconds. The fuck was that? What? Ah. She was like, oh, you're an empath. What's an empath? That let that was five years ago. That led me down the rabbit hole of what? How? Who? All of this stuff. So that's now how I'm a specialist of empathy, of understanding not how to be more empathetic, which is what most people think is what I do. It's actually what are receivers? How did I feel her nausea? And how do you stop it? How do you manage it? How do you cleanse it if you're overloaded and you don't know? How do you protect from it? How do you show up and use these intuitive gifts, which is how I like to call these senses, these intuitive gifts we have, how do we leverage them instead of them becoming a curse? Because I've met many empaths who are like, I just don't go out around people or I don't leave the house or I don't go to the mall at these times of day. And I'm like, you're restricting your life because of your empathic gifts? You need to understand them a bit better. So has that answered your question? Um, yes. And how incredible because maybe there, we don't even know that that is happening to us. Some, some of us that are so empathetic, we're like taking on these energies of other people that aren't ours. So, and they affect us, you know, it's like, everything is energy, everything. So this, um, how can you keep your vibration high and not, you know, add on pile on everybody else's stuff is like, Ooh, it just feels like so clean and so light and so spacious. Like you can just, you know, have the room for your own stuff. So yeah, I love that. I love Mm. that. And yeah. It's life-changing. I thought I lived with mild anxiety because of my childhood Turned out I was just really good at picking up other people's energies. And that's just one of them. There's nine. Some school of thought say there's like 13 or 15 senses. I've just simplified it to nine. Wow. Yeah. How beautiful that, you know, there's you helping people. I think maybe people might be listening in and thinking, hmm, is this me? I think it could be me. Maybe it's me. I feel like drained or tired or sick or heavy or I'm and and limiting limiting your life and and where you put your you know nobody wants to live like that so but they could work with somebody like you to really get to know and figure out how you can use those as your gifts and not a curse like that's brilliant um <laughs> and I, I I wrote the number 13 as as you were saying um somebody who went from the lone wolf from being bullied, from going through like, you know, we touched on one or two of like the storms that you went through and, you know, kind of breeze through, through a lot of it. There, there was a lot more that we haven't even, you know, got into. So going from this lone wolf who thought and tried to, to end things to 
being the bridesmaid in 13 (laughs) weddings, having not a friend to being, you know, that's a huge thing. You don't ask anybody to be your bridesmaid. So I just think how, I don't know how beautiful to see like where this story started. And like I said, in the beginning, going through the storm and seeing this, the rainbow and the sunshine and the beauty on the other end. So anybody listening in that maybe is not in a great place right now, they they might realize that, Hey, this is, this is speaking to me. I'm not in the best place right now. And I'm not feeling, you know, like there's any hope or, but you know what? There is the sunshine and the rainbows after we get through the storm. The storm isn't the destination. I recently talked to this beautiful woman, Betsy Guerrera, who who lost her daughter in a swimming accident. And she talks about going from hurt to hope and that the pain isn't the end. That's not the destination. But when you get through to the other side of that, that really you can get to this beautiful place where you're really living just your true, authentic, beautiful, fulfilling life. So, oh, I just feel like everybody listening in today is probably going to walk away and think wherever they are, you know, down in the dumps or even, even really high that there's still, you know, more to grow and evolve and, and to discover. So yeah, I just want to thank you for sharing your story with me and my audience around the world. It's just, yeah. Um, one thing I just want to add to that. Um, one of the reasons I use the metaphors, I don't know if you can see, it, I've got a little sailboat there, and then my little um, model I use, because it represents that visual of, if you head into the storm, you'll get through it faster. It sounds contradictory, but if you try and outrace it, the storm's always behind you and you got to endure that. Or if you kind of sideswipe, you will capsize. The fastest way through our stuff, our muck, our mess is actually to go straight through it. Identify what is not working. Don't avoid the conflict. Don't avoid the difficult parts of life. Go through it. As you say, find the rainbow at the other end. I use rainbows in my meditations all the time in different ways. Then you can look back and go, whew, I didn't read the map properly or I didn't pay attention to the weather warnings. I thought I knew better. What part of the red flags were there that made the storm bigger than it was or bigger than you thought you would be able to handle? The the ability to reflect on what, you could have avoided. He's just as powerful as looking back and going, okay, what did I learn from that? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I think we can just leave it at that. That's wow. So where can everybody connect you, find you, follow you? Um, tell us where we can get in touch. Okay. The easiest way that has everything is my website. I know people like to find the social channels. So rather than give you 20 different URLs, um, just go to melb.com, M-E-L-L-B, all one word, melb.com. 
in there, you can go to forward slash resources, get some of the empathy tools. It's all free to do some analysis, get some trait understanding around what different types of empathy there is, all free. Or you can find, go to contact forward slash contact, and you can find all of the social channels there. And you can follow me on whatever is your favorite platform. Amazing. Okay. Well, I will link link that in the show notes. So go connect with Mel. And if there's one or two things that stood out to you that you would like to share, you can also tag us on IG and let us know what it is that you're walking away with today. What's your biggest takeaway? So love to, I love to know that. And, and even answer questions. If anybody wants to know more or skipped over something or didn't make sense, let me know. Beautiful. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining me on today's episode of All Things Relatable. If you know someone that would relate to this episode and get value from it, please pass it along. Also, if this episode resonated with you, I would love for you to rate, review, and subscribe.